Hello, people of the way. Uh, we're going to continue our study through the book of Acts. And where we left off last week is in Acts uh, 25. That was the last verse that we, uh, where we left off. And it's a little refresher course. Remember, we see the good news being spread, going forth. Uh, but then at the same time, don't forget the, the attributes of this fellow by the name of Philip. If you recall in uh, Acts chapter uh, 6, in Acts chapter 6, remember in verse 2, there was this beef that arose in the church. Um, and the apostles, they were the ones who says, look, you know, they said in verse two of chapter six, it is not desirable that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Therefore, brethren, seek out from among you. I love this so much because it's inside the body. You know, they don't go out and start recruiting and, you know, going out and recruiting it from the world. It's from inside the church. And the exhortation here is to say, hey, you know, look inside the body, look inside the church. And he says, choose out from, seek out from among you seven men of good reputation, which translates as a good witness, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom. These are things that as ministry opportunities start to pop up in, in inside of the body is to say, hey, look, who are the ones that can who, who are the ones who can uh, uh, fill these? I don't, I don't want to sound corporate, but who are the ones who can fill these positions? There's this need. Who is the one male, female? It doesn't matter. Who are those who have good reputation, a good witness, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom and who exemplify the opposite? The ones who exemplify the opposite, you know, we need to wait on those people. Those are people who need to still grow and matriculate and understand and mature in Christ. But then at the same time, the ones who have done that already is to say, hey, it says like in verse three, still in chapter six, whom we may appoint or ordain over this business. And it's so cool because it's like, you know, it says in verse four, but we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And the saying pleased the whole multitude, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit. This is a fellow who we read about in verse 7, a very incredibly beautiful man. And then in verse 5, and Philip. Beautiful, beautiful Philip. And you see, when we started our study in, in Acts chapter 8, you know, you see how the cost of being a Christian, it's amped up a little bit. It gets more life-threatening to become a Christian. Because in chapter 8, verse 1, it says, At that time, a great persecution arose against the church which was at Jerusalem. And that's when you see you, like the beginning of the diaspora, what we talked about last week. But then there was one guy by the name of Philip that started with one and you see in verse five, it says, then Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ to them. It started with one. That's why it blows me away. Sometimes, you know, people say, you know, they're so concerned about numbers or sometimes even ourselves. You're like, wow, what can I do? I'm just one guy. I'm just one gal. What in the world can I do? It doesn't matter. You know, spiritual revival begins with one. That's what our old pastor in California always used to tell us. 
Revival begins with just one person. What can the Holy Spirit do inside of my temple, inside of your temple? And you read the Bible, you can see, whoa, he can, he can do a lot. The question is, are we willing? Are you willing? Am I willing to yield to the leading of the Holy Spirit? And then we see exactly what happens when we did our study last week. You know how it started with one and you see how the church blows up. Except the Holy Spirit skipped one. We talked about that too. Skipped over Simon for a reason. And so here, you know, Philip is continuing, still being used of the Lord. He didn't stop. That's what I love so much about these people, men, women, young, old, all through the Bible. is like, you know, this isn't just like a, a short-term deal for them. This is a lifelong decision that they've made. In some cases, it was a short-term deal, but then we see what happens with them. But these beautiful men and women of Holy Scripture, it's like, whoa, you know, I want to be like that. So look at verse 26, where we left off last week. He says, now this is in Acts chapter 8, verse uh, 26. Now an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip. You know, and, and keep this in mind too, the... We live in a hustle-bustle society, you know, but quietness of heart, quietness of mind, it's, you know, sometimes when we filter through all the mess or just take all the chaos in our lives, all the whatever it is, and just put those on the back burner and focus on the Lord. To have quietness of mind to where it's like, wow, you know, I'm sensitive to the Holy Spirit. I'm sensitive to the leading of the Holy Spirit. Such is the case with Philip. An angel of the Lord spoke to Philip saying, Arise and go toward the south along the road which goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. You know what's so interesting here is you see God is the one who's doing the leading. Remember our study through the book of uh, Revelation. You see there's kind of like a hierarchy. I, I think of it in military terms. How you have a commander in chief and then you have generals and, you know, various generals from top to bottom. And then, you know, all the way from, you know, four star general to like, you know, a lieutenant, you know. And so you kind of see that hierarchy. I shouldn't say all the way up to all the way down to lieutenant. I forgot how I said it, but because lieutenant is like the low end of the totem pole. And so you see there's this hierarchy, this structure. And it was an angel of the Lord who spoke to Philip, saying, arise, go down, go, uh, arise and go toward the south. God is the one who's leading. God is the one who's directing the steps of Philip through the angel. You know, God who is seated on the throne says, okay, angel, go and talk to Philip. And the angel says, aye, aye sir, and goes and talks to Philip. That's so cool. Just that the eyes of the Lord are on Philip. The eyes of the Lord are on the heart of Philip, the mind of Philip. Remember like we did uh, last week when you see how uh, uh, Simon, you know, the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit skipped him because his heart wasn't right before the Lord. But then you see Philip and he's like, wow, you know, his, his heart is right before the Lord and he's being used of the Lord. And God is the one who's directing the steps of Philip. See, intimacy has its advantages. I don't mean to sound selfish in saying it like that. It's not like, you know, yeah, I want to have intimacy with the Lordship of Jesus Christ because I get, you know, X, Y, Z. I don't want to sound like that. 
you know, it's like, wow, you know, it's like, I, I don't even deserve this. I don't even deserve, uh, you know, this the blessings of the Lord. Lord, you're so good to me. I don't even deserve this. But let me tell you something that's called grace. G-R-A-C-E, God's riches at Christ's expense. That's called grace. Grace is having what we do not deserve. That's grace. Mercy is kind of the opposite. Mercy is not having what we do deserve. It's like, wow, you know, I did this and I read the Bible. I'm worthy of death. I should be stoned. But God who's rich in mercy is to say, yeah, I do deserve this. But you know what? God is good. He's taken that from me. I don't, you know, I, I deserve death because of sin. And, you know, so do you. So do all of us. And people say, you know, why, you know, you, you Christians, you believe in fairy tales. You think that they should stone, you know, homosexuals. You think that they should stone these people and this people. It's to return to them and say, hey, you know what? I'm the one who should be stoned. I deserve stoning. I deserve death. It should have been me on that cross because the wages of sin is death. But then to say, that's why I love Jesus Christ so much. That's why I'm so in love with him. Because God, who is so rich in mercy, has taken my sin, put his son on the cross, and transferred my sin to him, his only begotten son. It's a very holy transaction. I feel weird calling it a transaction. But when you read the Bible, the interpretation, it, it's like it, it's almost like monetary terms. You know, redemption, it's a transactional thing. Very holy. We live in a culture where we've lost the concept of holiness. I mean, look at the world around us. Holiness. Where do you see it? Where do you find it? We can learn holiness from the pages of Scripture. We can partake of these things. And, you know, the Lord changes a mind. The Lord changes a heart. But it's so cool here because, you see, it's the Lord who's directing these steps. Of beautiful, beautiful Philip. That's why I say intimacy does have its, its advantages. And I don't say that in a selfish sense, you know, but I do say that in, in the sense of, well, all praise and glory and adoration to the Lord. And he says, arise, the angel is speaking to Philip. Arise and go down to the south along the road, which goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. Very specific directions. Very specific directions. This is desert. Translates as this is a deserted space. And I think of, um, just so you guys know, you know, I have to take little sips of, it's coffee now, but, you know, sometimes it's tea too. Uh, pray for my throat because uh, it's pretty messed up. Um this is deserted. This is desert. It's a deserted space. And I think about like um, if you ever spend time in San Francisco, not now. The city's kind of a mess. It's, it's pretty nasty what's going on there. But like San Francisco and Los Angeles, 
You know, if you're in the, uh, the, the, the hub of San Francisco, it's a hustle bustle city. And then you go to uh, 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 Los Angeles, it's a hustle bustle city. But if you come inward, you know, San Francisco is a coastal town. If you come inland and get back on the five and you go five south, it's very, it's like there's nothing, you know. You go through Vacaville, you go through like nothing. I don't want to say nothing because it's like farmland and, you know, I love farmers. But it's like, you know, these, uh, you go through the, this like, there's no cities there, you know. There's no restaurants, there's no, you know, there's sightseeing, you know, to see cows and stuff. And then you get through like uh, Bakersfield, the grapevine, and then you come down the grapevine and then you enter La La Land. You know, Southern California, Los Angeles. But in between Frisco and Los Angeles, there's this kind of dead space, you know, so to speak, you know, figuratively speaking. But that's how it is here with uh, Jerusalem and Gaza. Jerusalem is a hub, you know, where like all the Jews are there. It's a, you know, a, a, a big hub of commerce. All, all trade routes, the converging of trade routes. But then at the same time, so was Gaza, which is, a you know, down south and it's a coastal region. Ships would come in, you know, and, and come to port. And then all of a sudden it's, you know, ship out into the more inland. So Jerusalem and Gaza were hubs. But then at the same time, in between, there's like nothing. Desert. And I think it's so cool because it's like, wow, you know, the Lord is about to arrange. What he's doing right here is he's arranging a divine appointment. A divine appointment. Look at Philip in verse 27. So he arose and went. You know, you see the, the obedience of Philip. I love this so much because, you know, you don't see Philip, you know, going back to the disciples saying, Hey, Peter, you know, the Lord is calling me to Gaza. I need money. Hey, uh, John, the Lord is calling me to Gaza. You know, can you pay for my health insurance? You know, hey, church, the Lord is calling me to Gaza. Can you fund my 401k while I'm gone? Can you pay me? I can't go unless I make 3000 at least 3000 a month. You know, it does it's so cool because I'm not kind of I'm not bagging on modern missionaries, modern day missionaries. You know, maybe in a sense I kind of am. But I love this so much because it's like, wow, you know the the orders that you know uh, Philip receives the marching orders and in obedience he's like, "I sir, I'm out of here." I'm out of here. So you see God on the throne, he tells the angel, hey, angel, go and tell Philip. And the angel says, aye, aye, sir, you know, yes, Lord. And he does it. And then what does Philip do hearing the message? Aye, aye, sir, and does it. Yes, Lord, I'll do it. You see obedience. Obedience. Even in the angelic realm. You say, what are you talking about, the angelic realm? You know, we're human. Well, don't forget, you know, we're going to be like the angels one day in our glorified bodies. We talked about that on, on uh, Wednesday. In our glorified bodies, we're going to be like the angels. You know, get very used to obedience to the Lord. Get very used to it. Get very comfortable with it. Trusting in Him. You know, a lot of times people have an issue of problems with obedience unto the Lord. I'm not trying to say like it's a piece of cake. You know, it's a learned thing. But then as you learn to trust in the Lord and be obedient to him, it's like, whoa, that's where the convergence of holy things, beautiful, beautiful, holy things, such as the case with Philip here. 
And so he went. And so in verse 27, so he arose and went, and behold, a man of Ethiopia. I think this is so cool because what we're about to start, start to see in uh, uh, chapter 9 when the Lord calls a fellow by the name of Saul, a well-known guy, beautiful, another beautiful man. You start to see how the Lord is starts selecting people, specifically outreach for the Gentiles. I shouldn't say outreach. It's, the good news is, is going from Israel to the Gentiles. Not yet. Well, I shouldn't say not yet, but you'll see it in chapter 9 with Paul or with Saul. And then, well, with Paul, who was Saul, getting ahead of myself. And then chapter 10, you'll see it with Peter, who goes into the, uh, uh, um, uh, the house of Cornelius, who's non-Jew. All these people are non-Jews. Well, I meant Peter and Paul are, but... The ones I just mentioned, you know. But you see, it's so beautiful because, you know, you know, it's starting to fulfill prophecy. How, you know, the promises of God are still for Israel, but there's going to be a period of time how, you know, the, the, the focus goes to the Gentiles to provoke the Jews to jealousy. But then remember, in accordance with Old Testament prophecy and New Testament prophecy, the focus is going to go back to uh, Israel one day. And me personally, I believe that day is very soon, though. What's called the fullness of the Gentiles. When the door of grace, the door of mercy starts to close. And in the last days, there's going to be angels flying in the air saying, Repent, come out of her, my people. That's like the final. That's like, that's it's over. That's like, this is the last opportunity to receive Jesus Christ. After that, you know, the Christians, they say, you know, the angel says, come out of her, my people. The people leave. The Christians, they leave. They say, okay, I'm giving up my drugs. I'm giving up my sex. I'm giving up my Buddhism. I'm giving up this and I'm believing in Jesus Christ. And then boom, sudden destruction comes. That's in accordance with prophecy. These things will happen. But you start to see, you know, the, in, here in verse 27, and behold, a man of Ethiopia, but the Holy Spirit starts directing away from Israel. Israel proper and Israel persona. You start to see there's a shift to the Gentiles. And then this guy from Ethiopia, man of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority under Candace, the queen of the Ethiopians. This eunuch, you know, I, I don't want to get off topic too much, but you know what? I have a heart for the eunuchs of the Bible. Because it's like, you know, I don't want to get graphic or anything, but they, they're missing a male member. You know, they don't have a certain part. And these eunuchs, Old Testament, and we see one here in the New Testament, they were put in service of a higher authority. They were put in service of a king. You know, Adesurses has eunuchs. And I love it so much because, you know, you have a king who would have, uh, you know, in the Old Testament and even historically, you have a king who would have like certain uh, uh, responsibilities under his kingdom. And some of those responsibilities were for his, you know, I'm not advocating multiple brides or multiple wives or, you know, concubines. I'm not advocating that at all. But what's so cool about the concept of a eunuch is that you have, there's physical, there's sexual impossibilities with these people because they don't, they don't, you know, it's, 
they don't have it. They don't have, you know, the the phallus is gone. And in some cases, it would be removed. In some cases, they would be the ones to remove it in service to the king to say, wow, king, my master, I love you so much. You know, this is gone. I don't have this. This is an impossibility because this is yours. This belongs to you. And I think the reason why I bring this up, I don't want to get off topic, but I think a lot of pastors, a lot of elders, a lot of people in ministry, especially men, you know, I would speak differently if I were speaking to a group of men. But I think, you know, we have to get used to the idea of like, hey, you know, there are certain impossibilities because these people belong to the king. And you have predatory pastors, predatory elders, predatory worship leaders, predatory, you know, youth leaders. And they think very carnally. They don't think in terms of, wow, this flock belongs to the Lord. And that's why we're going to study that more. It's probably going to be a couple years, you know, but uh, we're going to see these passages in the Old Testament. You're going to see these very special eunuchs who are tasked in service of the king, and there are certain impossibilities for them. And the reason why I bring this up is because I think a lot of people in ministry, men, need to get very comfortable with this idea. I'm not advocating like celibacy. I'm not like if the Catholics, you know, they say if you're going to be a priest, you know, you can't do this. And I'm not saying that at all. But that's just my little commentary about eunuchs. And such is the case with this guy of Ethiopia, this man of Ethiopia, a eunuch, a great authority under Candace. Candace here is Latin for Kandake, Kandake. The queen of the Ethiopians. The Ethiopians here, when you follow the anthropological movement of peoples, Old Testament to New and even to today, the Ethiopians here, they're Cushites. Cushites. If you remember our study through Genesis, you see the Cushites were from Cush. Cush, son of Ham. Ham was the son of disobedience. You know, one of the kids of Noah. When they came off the boat, Noah or, or Ham was the son of disobedience because he looked at his father's nakedness. And he tells his brothers, hey, guys, you know, hey, guys, uh, uh, Shem, Japheth, you know, Japheth, uh, look at our dad's naked. And the other brothers came with a sheet and they walked backwards because they didn't want to see their dad naked. And so they covered their dad, a covering on their dad. I think it's so cool. Even, you know, you hear me talk about parents being a covering for their kids. But in some cases, the kids can be a covering for the parents. Holiness. It doesn't matter. You know, you, you hear me talk about, you know, like dumb husbands who go out and do the world. And then, you know, dumb wives who also, you know, submit to these dumb husbands. But no, it's to say, you know, if there's a dumb husband, the wife submits to Jesus Christ. Saving the family. But then if there's a dumb husband, a dumb wife, then, you know, and then the kids, they say, wow, I'm going to submit to my dad who wants me to, you know, get drunk with him. You know, I'm going to submit to my dad who, you know, wants me to go to the strip club with him. Or, you know, I'm going to submit to my mom who wants me to date this, you know, whatever. No, it's to where the, the son, the daughter can say, wow, my parents are crazy. I'm going to submit to Jesus Christ. And they become the point person for holiness in their home. You see, that's how, that's how holy, saving the family. 
and glorifying the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Glorifying the Lord. And so you see this, the descendants here, the, 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 the Cushites. We even talked about, you know, how, uh, um, you know, when you look at the, the you know, a couple weeks ago, a couple on a Wednesday in Exodus, you see how there's like generational curses. We kind of talked about that. How you have like carnal, you know, in modern day times, you know, you have a carnal dad, carnal mom who will teach their kids, raise their kids. And then they have carnal kids and then the kids grow up and they have kids and then they have, carnal, you know, carnal kids because nobody has taught holiness. And the only one who can break that is Jesus Christ. The only one who can break that is Jesus Christ. That's what's so beautiful about this Ethiopian. Because as a descendant of Cush, you know, in that lineage, you see, the Holy Spirit is moving. The Holy Spirit is moving to bring people to Jesus, to the throne of Jesus. And Philip is a vessel. He's a partaker of the work of the Holy Spirit. That's why, you know, Paul in, in you know, in, uh, in, in, in um, 1 Corinthians, you know, people are like, you know, they were like, oh, I'm of Peter. I'm of Paul. I'm of uh, uh, Apollos. And, and uh, Paul was like, we're nothing. We're nothing. It's God. God is the one. Some people plant, some people water. God is the one who brings the increase. And then he starts to teach about being God's co-workers, God's fellow workers. So God who's on the throne, you know, he says, wow, I see the heart of man. I see this Ethiopian. I also see Philip. Philip is my vessel. I'm going to use him to go and reach out, to, to touch this Ethiopian and tell him about my son, Jesus Christ. So he's on the throne. And he calls an angel, hey, angel. I want you to go and tell something to Philip. Give Philip directions. And the angel says, you know, yes, Lord, I'll do it. Goes and does it. Tells a message to Philip. And Philip says, you know, okay, yes, Lord, I'll do it. You start to see, see the trickle down, how it trickles down. Who are the ones who have eyes to see and ears to hear? And the eyes of the Lord are everywhere. He sees these things. Remember, like the Holy Spirit, all the people believed when we studied last week, all the people believed, people came to faith in Jesus Christ. It's a beautiful thing. But when the baptism of the Holy Spirit came, he skipped over Simon. He skipped over Simon. Because the Lord knew his heart. The Lord sees his heart. And so you have, uh, you know, this, uh, 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 this Ethiopian, a eunuch of great authority under Candace Kandake, the queen of the Ethiopians who had charge of all her treasury huge responsibility for this guy huge responsibilities you know as it'd be like our treasury secretary uh steve mnuchin heavy heavy responsibilities and had come to jerusalem to worship so you, it paints a little picture about this ethiopian you know, you, you read the news and there's uh, uh, Ethiopian Jews who are making Aliyah right now. It happened like three weeks. It's always happening, but there was just this recent batch that happened like three weeks ago, maybe last month. But Aliyah is where, you know, in Israel, they have this, they have this government program in, in the country of Israel where, where there's Jews who want to make uh, what they call Aliyah. And it's to say, hey, you know, I'm leaving my, like, like if I were a Jew, you know, and I'm in America. 
well, I'm not, I'm in America, but you know, say I'm Jewish and I'm in America. You guys know what I'm saying. Okay, so I'm Jewish and I'm going to leave the United States. And there's this program, this government program in Israel. If I make Aliyah, I call them and I say, hey, I want to make Aliyah. And they'll send a representative here and they'll say, verify that I'm Jewish. And and then um, um, they'll sell my house. I could just start the process of moving, relocating. And they'll sell my house for me. And they'll also uh, get me a, a place to live in Israel. And then give me money and help me like get established in Israel. It's a huge government program. But it's to bring people, the Jewish people across the globe, back to Israel. That's why when you hear a lot of Jews say, wow, you know what, I'm making Aliyah. It's happening a lot in Germany. Because there's a lot of anti-Semitism in Germany. And, uh, um, you know, it's kind of amping up more in Sweden. And so you have these Jews, these synagogues who have, you know, contact with the, the Israel government, con contacts with people in Israel government. And you go to, you know, like we go to church on Sunday, they go to synagogue, you know, not on a Sunday, but they go to synagogue on, I think they, they a Saturday, the Sabbath, you know. And so they, they go to synagogue and they talk with their uh, rabbi and they say, hey, rabbi, I want to I wanna make aliyah. And so, you know, a couple of days later, the officials would come and say, okay, verify everything. And then they start the process. But, you know, you see this, you know, kind of a long explanation about, you know, this Ethiopian Jew. The Ethiopian Jews are still being found today. It just happened three or four weeks ago. And what's so beautiful here is that, you know, you see this, you know, this, this, this it, 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 like in the Old Testament, when we get to Numbers, you're going to see how there's the there's a provision in the law for people who are non-Jews, people who are not part of Israel. They are not Jewish people, but they believe in Jehovah God. They believe in Jehovah, the God of Israel. And how in the law, there's provisions that say, hey, bring these people in. Bring these foreigners in. Let them partake of the feast. Let them partake of the festivals. Let them partake of the Passover. It's an Old Testament example of the church being grafted in. Remember, as Christians, you read the book of Romans, which we're going to get to pretty soon. And you're going to see, you know, Paul is the one who says, you know, we're the, the, we're the branch. The Christian is the branch. The branch is not greater than the root. The root is the Jew. You know, the, the, the branch doesn't, you look at a tree, you know, you see the, well, you don't see the roots, but the, you know, you see the, the trunk, but the roots are in the ground. You don't see the branch, you don't see a tree on its side with the branches in the ground. It's nonsense. That's why you have these pastors who teach about replacement theology. It's garbage. No such thing as replacement theology. There is to them, you know, but their end is destruction because they teach wrongly unless they repent. You know, I pray they repent. But God is not done with Israel. The fullness of the Gentiles. Once the fullness of the Gentiles is reached, God is going to focus back on Israel. It's kind of like, you know, how there was 70 years of, of bondage in uh, Babylon, Babylonian captivity. There's like, you know, periods of silence where the Lord says, okay, if you don't want to listen to me, I'm going to be silent. Just like from Malachi to Matthew. 400 years of silence. Just like in, you know, Samuel, the, the word of the Lord was rare in those days. There's periods of silence. I would even argue just like today, how there's periods of silence. Because, you know, who are those who have ears to hear? 
the remnant, the remnant according to grace. So in the Old Testament, there's these passages, mostly in Numbers. Also, you know, some that we've studied already, but, you know, we're going to see in Numbers how there's provisions in the law to bring in these non-Jewish people, the ones who acknowledge the Lord, the ones who worship uh, the God of Israel, Jehovah, Yahweh. You know, and you see this Ethiopian, you know, he says, and he had come to Jerusalem to worship at the end of verse 27. In verse 28, he was returning. So he already worshipped God in Jerusalem. He already worshipped God in Jerusalem. If you remember, you know, in the law, there's a piece of the law that says, you know, we kind of studied this in previous chapters in Exodus. It's kind of like the very early stages of it. But we're going to see it more, especially when you get into Leviticus and Numbers. And you're going to see it in practice when you get into the Samuels, when we get into the Chronicles, you're going to see these things. But what in the law, the, the law states how people would come, people, it, it, people would come to Jerusalem to pay homage to the Lord, you know, give him offerings unto the Lord. And it became a religious thing. I mean, it didn't be, it wasn't, it, it started to deviate away from being a heart thing and became a, a religious thing. You remember when Jesus Christ, when he was, he turned over the tables he went he says, you know, he said, you turned my father's house into a den of thieves. And he was mad because they turned it into business. They turned it into business. People would come, you know, somebody would come with sin in his home, maybe sin in his heart. Maybe he was the one who committed sin or maybe, you know, his son or daughter or wife committed sin. And he would come, maybe a poor guy and he would come with a turtle dove, the best of his turtle doves. Come to temple to worship the Lord and pay homage to the Lord and, you know, seek atonement for his home. And a priest would look at it, inspect it and say, no, this uh, we found a blemish here. Let's put this to the side. But here you can buy this one for 50 bucks. Remember, turtle doves were like for the poor people. You know, you see people's offerings and it would you know, be indicative of their social class. The poor people would bring their turtle doves like a little bird. And people who had more money, they would bring a lamb. People who had a lot of money, they would, you know, bring like a bigger, like an ox as an offering to the Lord. And so the turtle dove was like for the poor people. Imagine, you know, 50 bucks for poor people is a lot of money. And so, you know, the guy would say, wow, you know, I need to atone for my home. I need to atone for my family. And, you know, they can't accept this turtle dove. And, you know, and the people would think, wow, this is holy because they're just following what the religious leaders say. They say, fine, you know, here, don't take my turtle dove. I'll go ahead, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll scrap around and I'll pay the 50 bucks, you know, and then they'll turn around, get this turtle dove. And they'd be like, wow, you know, I made 50 bucks off this guy. When Jesus Christ goes to the temple, he sees it happening and he was mad. He takes their tables, the money changers. Flipping money. Rolling tables over. He was mad and the people thought he was crazy. What is he doing? And he says, you've turned my father's house into a den of thieves. Rather than say, you know, yes, I'll take your turtle dove. Yes, I'll take your lamb. Here, enter here, the high priest. He's going to atone for your sin. You can go back home and there's no longer sin in your camp. There's no longer sin in your home because it's been atoned for by the blood of the turtle dove, by the blood of your offering. 
You see, that's why Jesus Christ was mad. It wasn't, you know, it's much deeper. A lot of people say, yeah, Jesus Christ was mad. He lost his mind. He was crazy. No, not at all. It's much deeper than that. What the religious leaders turned it into. What about the religious leaders today? The religious establishment. And people sitting in the pews and they think like, wow, you know, this is holy. I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to sit here. My mom's been doing it for ages. My dad's been doing it for ages. My uncle, my grandma, all these things. So I'm going to sit here too. That's what I used to do as a former Catholic. Wow, you know, my grandma did this. My grandfather did this. Look how devout my grandparents are. And you see old people crawling on their knees. You know how they do that thing once a year? They crawl on their knees and they walk up the steps. And each step they pray to the Virgin Mary. They pray the rosary. And old people with their bloody knees, they can barely, barely even move. And they're just doing it for the sake of tradition. What the priest tells them to do. Nothing new under the sun. And so it blows me away because, you know, this, this uh, uh, Ethiopian, he's returning from worship in Jerusalem. And what's so cool, you know, it's like you start to see how the Holy Spirit has filtered through the, like, to the Jew first. To the Jew first, you know, you say, you, you know, what do you mean to the Jew first? Well, do you know what happened to the Jew first? Turn with me to Acts chapter 2, a little refresher course. In Acts 2, verse 7, what's happening here is, is uh, the Holy Spirit descended on the, on the home and the, the apostles, the disciples, they became apostles, but they started to speak with tongues of fire. The Holy Spirit fell. It was the day of Pentecost. In verse 4, it says they were filled with the Holy Spirit. In verse 7, this is the people they thought, wow, I mean, these people are crazy. They're drunk. That's when Peter says, you know, he said, we're, we're not drunk. It's only 9 in the morning. In verse 15, some translations say, we're not drunk, it's only nine in the morning. But in verse seven, the people says, then they were all amazed and marveled, saying to one another, look, are not all these who speak Galileans? And how is it that we hear each in our own language, our own dialecta, in which we were born? Parthians and Medes and Elamites, those dwelling in Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya adjoining Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs. You know, the, verse 10 it says both Jews and proselytes. Very interesting, proselytes. Those are converts to Judaism. You hear me speak about the provisions in the law to graft Gentiles into Israel. Here you see it here in verse 10, both Jews and proselytes. Verse 11, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them speaking in our own tongues, the wonderful works of God. The wonderful works of God. I wonder in this movement, I mean, you know, here all these people in, in chapter two, still in chapter two, you know, it's, you know, Peter was the one who stood up and says, hey, you know, you guys, we're not drunk. This is the Holy Spirit. And he gives them the good news, the gospel. And tells them, these are the ones who, Jesus Christ is the one whom you crucified. In verse 36, still in Acts chapter 2. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. Verse 37 is key. 
because he says now when they were now when they were they heard this they were cut to the heart they were pierced in their heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles men and brethren what do we do I love this so much because there's going to be so many times when you're in the Bible where you're cut to the heart if you're like me you're cut to the heart and you say lord what do I do you know, I have these preconceived notions about X, Y, Z, but your Bible, you know, I read your word and the Bible tells me it's not X, Y, Z, it's ABC. I've been believing in ABC my whole life and I read your word and you tell me it's not ABC, it's one, two, three. And when you yield to the Lordship of Jesus Christ, you say, forgive me, Lord, I blew it. It's not one, two, three, it's ABC, ABC. And you're the one who changes. You're the one who yields to the Lordship of Jesus Christ, not the other way around. Which is common for the wicked. In verse 38, then Peter said to them, repent. Repentance is such a beautiful, beautiful thing. It doesn't matter whatever the sin is. To say, Lord, forgive me. And you know what? Jesus Christ cleans his own fish. He cleans his own fish. You could come with the filth of all filth and say, you know what? I believe I blew it. Forgive me, Lord. There's going to be reaping what you've sown, whatever it is. But you know what? Jesus Christ cleans his own fish. Peter said to them, repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. You see how the Spirit is moving? So here, that was in Jerusalem. That is something that happened in Jerusalem. And you start to see thousands became saved. Thousands came to Christ. The church was blowing up. It was going like crazy and growing like wildfire. But then at the same time, in accordance with the law, there was this Ethiopian who went to Jerusalem to worship. And now he's on his way home after worship. <clears throat> Verse 28 of Acts 8. Going back to Acts 8 now. Verse 28 says he was returning. This is about the, the eunuch. Beautiful, beautiful, beautiful Ethiopian eunuch. From, you know, who was a, a, a great authority under Kandake. And so he's returning from Jerusalem. You know, the distance from Jerusalem to Ethiopia, you know, we're, we're kind of spoiled in this modern age. We have airplanes now, you know, we can get on planes, we can get in cars, we can get in, you know, helicopters, private planes, uh, whatever it is. Get in anything and it's like, wow, I'm there like, you know. You could wake up in one part of the world and wake up in the morning and go to bed at night and at you know, the other side of the world. We're spoiled. So that journey alone to be in Ethiopia and say, wow, you know what? I'm going to go to Jerusalem and worship the Lord. I'm going to go to Jerusalem and you know give an offering to the Lord. Because yeah, I'm in Ethiopia, but I believe in Jehovah God. I believe in the God of Israel. And his law says, you know, to go to Jerusalem, you know, and at this particular time period, you know, near the day of Pentecost. So, you know, at this time, it's going to take me, you know, X amount of days to get there. So 
I'm going to leave early so I can get there and pay homage to the Lord. And so he does it. The Ethiopian travels up to Jerusalem and now he's on his way back to Ethiopia. So he's returning. And he's sitting in verse 28 and sitting in his chariot. He was reading Isaiah the prophet. Isaiah the prophet. You know what's so cool about this? You hear me say when we started this off, God who's on his throne. And praise be to the Lord. But God is on his throne. And he sees this. He sees the heart of the Ethiopian. Not just the Ethiopian. I mean, you know, we all see people. He doesn't just see the Ethiopian. But he sees the heart of the Ethiopian. Wow, here's this guy from Ethiopia. He's followed me his whole life. Or, you know, whenever he started to believe, I don't know. And he sees the heart. That's why, like Simon, when we studied last week, Simon. His heart wasn't right before the Lord. Mr. Big Shot, he liked being Mr. Big Shot. But yet, and here he is looking at this Ethiopian. Not just the Ethiopian, the outside, the shell. He sees the substance. He knows the motives. He tests the heart. He knows the mind. And he sees this Ethiopian. He's sitting on his throne and he says, hey, angel, come here. I want you to use Philip. I want you to go tell Philip to do this thing for me. Give him very specific instructions. And so Philip hears the word, hears the message and says, aye, aye, sir. Aye, aye, Lord. And he goes. It's the Lord is the one who's arranging this divine appointment. Bringing Philip together with the Ethiopian to give him the good news. This holy, holy transaction. It's the Lord who's doing it. It's not a sales pitch. What, you know, people often turn it into. It's not a sales pitch. But look at this beautiful Ethiopian. He's reading Isaiah the prophet. I wonder how many people return to their old lives. I wonder how many people return to their own lives. Like, you know, for example, you know, it's like, oh, it's Sunday. I'm going to go to church, you know, but Monday I'm going to get drunk. Or Sunday night, I'm going to get drunk. You know, or whatever it might be. How You know how like, you know, churches are crowded on like Easter Sunday. Churches are crazy crowded. Or maybe on Christmas, you see parking lots full. But then the rest of the time, the rest of the year, it's like, where's everybody? Where, where, where'd everybody go? I wonder how it was in Jerusalem. I mean, yes, the Holy Spirit was moving. The church was blowing up. But I wonder when you look at the numbers, I wonder how many people like... Jews, even uh, proselytes, go to Jerusalem. Did the, um, I'll air quote, you can't see, but I'm air quoting, but did the religious thing, did what the law stated, more air quotes, in accordance with the letter of the law. And I wonder how many of those people went back to their old lives. They were just doing the religious act of it. But then I wonder of those people, you know, you see the Holy Spirit move what we just read in Acts 2. And I'm not denigrating the work of the Holy Spirit. 
because, you know, there were carnal people there and, you know, then you see how they were cut to the heart. And Peter says, hey, repent. Repent and believe. And they did. And it's like, that's the beauty of being cut to the heart. It's also the beauty of repentance. It's also the beauty of what the Holy Spirit can do, the moving of the Holy Spirit. But I wonder how many went back to their old lives. And here you have this uh, um, uh, eunuch on his way back, on his way back to Ethiopia. And he's reading Isaiah the prophet. This is so cool. It's not like he's going back to his old life, you know. He, he loves the Lord. He leaves Ethiopia, comes to Jerusalem, worships the Lord, pays homage to the Lord. And he's come back. He's not reading comic books. You know, he's not on his cell phone, you know, playing games. He's not, you know, on his cell phone doing business. He's not on his cell phone, you know, trading stocks. He's reading Isaiah the prophet. What a beautiful man. And you know what? He, he's not like with a loud, large crowd of people. He's just... Remember, they're like in the desert. And like it, it's deserted space. It's a deserted space like between San Francisco and L.A. The middle of nowhere. He's reading Isaiah the prophet and God our Father sees him. And has compassion on him. And loves him. And wants to have oneness with him. Wants to have intimacy with him. So he says, I'm going to use Philip. I'm going to send Philip. What about in times in your life when you find yourself in the middle of nowhere? What about times in your life when maybe you look at your hands and you say, what have I done? Maybe times when you look down at your feet and you're like, where in the world have I gotten myself? If there's ever a time when you think, wow, you know, I can't return to the Lord. Take that thought and throw it in the trash. Because you fall to your knees and you say, Lord, forgive me. He loves you. He wants oneness with you. He wants intimacy with you. And I love this so much in verse 29. You have this uh, uh, Ethiopian reading Isaiah the prophet. And then in verse 29, then the spirit said to Philip, go near and overtake this chariot. Notice that it's not the angel who's saying this now. The angel kind of, you know, he said it in verse 26. The angel of the Lord spoke to Philip saying, arise and go toward the south, giving him specific directions. But now it's the spirit, the Holy Spirit said to Philip. Notice who's in command. Philip's not directing the steps. Philip's not directing his path. The Holy Spirit is the one. You know, that's what's so cool. It's kind of like confirmation too for Philip. Because it's like, okay, you know, yeah, he, he can test the spirits. You know, the, the angel of the Lord says, arise, go towards the south. And the spirit doesn't say, okay, now go towards the north. Everything is in aligning. Everything is lining up properly. So many times people are crazy. They get into crazy town because they say, wow, the Lord told me to go south. And then the Lord changed his mind and told me to go north. It's because they're listening to 
crazy angels. Remember, Satan presents himself as an angel of light. Satan told me to go west and, you know, or, or you know, they say the Lord. The Lord told me to go west, so I'm going to go west. And now that I'm west, he tells me to go east. All kinds of confusion. God is not the author of confusion. And so you kind of see a, a confirmation here. Because the spirit is aligning with what the angel said. And the angel was in obedience to the, to the Lord, to the Father. Very spiritual things happening here. You see Philip, he's attentive to these things. Then the spirit said to Philip, go near and overtake this chariot. You know, you see these military terms, so, you know, go near and overtake to, you know, military term would be like, you know, close, close with and destroy the enemy. It's a very common military term. It's to, you know, close the gap and destroy the enemy. It's to say, you know, don't run from a fight, but, you know, close the distance between you and a fight. And overtake the enemy or destroy the enemy. But spiritually speaking, you know, the weapons of our warfare are not carnal in nature. Here you have Philip. He's on the offense. You know, as Christians, as believers in Jesus Christ, son of the most high God, we do have defensive postures, but we also have offensive advances. You see people get in a fight, you know, two people get in a fight, you know, and it's like, Wait a second, you know, you're taking punches, taking punches, and you can have a hand up. You can put a shield up as like a blocking mechanism. Maybe the hits are hard and it's like, whoa, that hurt. And you kind of crouch down and you turn your back so that, you know, your back starts taking hits. But who is the one, you know, that's kind of a defensive posture. I don't, you know, defensive postures are good. You know, they, they help protect. But who's the one who's going to... Put the strong leg back and advance. Throw some punches and advance and go on offense. I'm not denigrating defensive postures. Defensive postures are beautiful. They're protective. But then at the same time, who is the one who's going to advance? I think so many times Christians, we forget about the power of the Holy Spirit. Because sometimes we're, I don't know, maybe afraid. Maybe we just forget about the nature of our Lord. But we can be on offense and go on the offense. And this word for to overtake the chariot, it's kind of like, you know, it's the word cleave. It's the word, you know, the, 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 uh, how a husband must cleave to his wife and a wife must cleave to her husband. You know, say, look at mommy and daddy and say bye bye and cleave to your husband, cleave to your wife. It's the same exact concept here to overtake this chariot is to say, hey, cleave to this guy. Hey, Philip, cleave to the Ethiopian. Hey, Philip, join yourself. Glue yourself to the Ethiopian. It's a very, it's a holy interaction that's going to happen. And so Philip ran to him. So beautiful here because you see Philip's obedience. He doesn't just say, well, I think this is the Lord. So maybe I'll take these baby steps. No, Philip ran to him. 
the sensitivities he has to the Holy Spirit and things holy. He's on the same frequency, so to speak. You know, like radio stations, you want to listen to a certain radio station, you have to get on the proper frequency if you want to receive those signals to lead, to listen to music. It's kind of old school because nowadays, you know, everything's all, uh, I don't know. You got the music apps and all the kinds of things. But, you know, when I was a kid, you had special radio stations. And you had to find the right radio station. Or like Bluetooth technology. You put a little earpiece in your ear. You make a phone call and you can, you know, you talk. Your phone's on your, in your pocket. Your phone's on your desk. You have your little earpiece in. <coughs> and you can talk. But then what happens if, you know, you start walking, you know, you walk further and further and further away from your phone there's no connection. You lose connection. You drop the call. You no longer have connection to your phone because you, you're too far away from your phone. But the same thing happens with the Lord. That's what's so beautiful about intimacy with the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Intimacy with the Son of the Most High God. You see intimacy that Moses has with God. What about the intimacy that you have with God? It's like, wow, the connection, you know, the, the Bluetooth connection is made closeness with the lord but then you see people it's like wow you know what my best friend he wants to go to the strip club okay i'll go with him and you start walking further and further away you lose the connection i can't hear of the lord anymore i can't hear from the lord anymore your best friend says wow you know it's ladies night at the club let's go clubbing tonight yeah, we're married. It's okay. These guys can hit on us. We're not going to do anything, but it's okay. You lose the connection. You, you start walking away from the source. My best friend wants to get drunk tonight. My best friend wants to get high tonight. And so all of a sudden, it's like these steps that are made walking away from the Lord. Is this a, well, I can't hear from the Lord anymore. That's the danger of carnality. That's the danger of going back into the world. That's the danger of going back to Egypt, back to bondage. You lose the connection. And if you lose the connection, how can you hear? How can you hear the leading of the Lord? You say, wow, the Lord told me to go west, so I'm going to go west. And then all of a sudden, you know, I'm west and, you know, this crazy stuff happens. And now the Lord is telling me to go even more west. The Lord is telling me to go east. The Lord is telling me to go south. The Lord is telling me to go north. You say, the Lord is doing this. The Lord is doing this. The whole time you've been snookered. You've been tricked. By an angel who presents himself as an angel of light. So what do I do? do I, you know, these voices, they're telling them to go north, south, west. See, you know what I say? Go down. Fall to your knees. Fall to your knees and repent. Say, Lord, forgive me. That's what's so cool about this divine appointment that the Lord has, has set up for Philip and the eunuch. Philip and this beautiful Ethiopian. And the sensitivities that Philip has to the Holy Spirit, the leading of the Lord. That's why I get so mad sometimes. I'm not sometimes. I get mad all the time. When I hear people say, oh, yeah, the Holy Spirit, you know, the book of Acts, the Holy Spirit moves like that. That was just for 2000 years ago. It's not for today. It's not for today. 
pastors who teach this. Oh, yeah, that was for that dispensation. They use all these big words. They talk with big words and they want to sound like they're smart, but they're stupid. Because it's like, wow, you know, I wonder how many people miss out on divine appointments. I wonder how many non-believers miss out on divine appointments. Where there's like an Ethiopian out there. And the Lord says, oh, I want to use this guy. I want to use this girl. And then all of a sudden, you know, the Holy Spirit starts to nudge at their hearts. And they say, wow, you know, my pastor told me that that was for that dispensation. Yeah, I feel this nudging in my heart. But, you know, that that was, you know, I, I, I ate, you know, bad meat last night. This urging I feel in my spirit and this urging I feel, it's, it's nothing. I'm just going to dismiss it. Because my pastor says that was just for 2,000 years ago. My parents tell me that was just for 2,000 years ago. My uncles tell me that was just for 2,000 years ago. My aunt tells me that was just for 2,000 years ago. You know what I say? It's for right here. It's for right now. There's no expiration date on the Holy Spirit, the moving of the Holy Spirit. God is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. You know, you talk to a brainiac and you say, hey, God is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. They say, oh, that, that verse is from Hebrews. It's Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. You know what you say? Elohim. The triune nature of God, God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. I and my Father are one. Oh, learned one. Have you not read the scriptures? bunch of brainiacs out there who are stupid we're surrounded by stupid people in the last days zero wisdom i wonder how many people miss out on these divine appointments because they're taught they are taught by carnal people that the moving of the holy spirit was for two thousand years ago it's not for today how many divine appointments are missed because of this doctrine that is taught by men, taught by women even? I wonder. There's no expiration date on the moving of the Holy Spirit. None whatsoever. You don't see that. You won't find it in the Bible. And so Philip, in obedience to the leading of the Lord, Philip ran to him in verse 30 and heard him reading the prophet Isaiah. So the Ethiopian, he, he's not just, you know, reading a paper, reading the, the, the parchment in his mind. He's verbally reading it out loud. Remember, the Holy Spirit says, hey, join yourself to him, cleave to him, glue yourself to him. And it's in obedience. Philip does it. And then he said in verse 30 and said, do you understand what you are reading? You see this beautiful divine appointment. God is the one who's making the connections. He's directing the steps of his vessels. He's using Philip. He tells the angel, hey, angel, go and go reach out to Philip and give him these specific directions. In obedience to the father, the angel does it. In obedience to God, Philip goes 
And the spirit says, go near and cleave yourself, join yourself to this person. He says, here it is right here. Do you understand what you are reading? You kind of see like this. Remember, they're in the middle of nowhere. The middle of Frisco and L.A. The middle of nowhere. The middle of Jerusalem and Gaza. Desert space. Divine appointment. That's why you're going to find yourself sometimes in life. In a, I'm doing air quotes here. Desert space. How can God see me? How can God be with me when I'm here in the middle of nowhere? Whatever it is. Metaphysically speaking, I'm in the middle of nowhere. How can God see me? You know who else was in the middle of nowhere? Another fellow by the name of Jonah. He was in the middle of nowhere, in the, you know, the, the middle of a boat. And then he found himself in the middle of a whale. And the Lord heard him. The Lord was with him. Doesn't matter where you find yourself in any station in life. The Lord is with you. Sometimes, you know, you're going to have to fall to your knees and say, Lord, I repent. But the Lord is with you. You'd be like Philip. So sensitive to the leading of the Holy Spirit. And these divine appointments being met, you being used by the Lord. And this beautiful Ethiopian. And he said, how can I unless someone guides me? Unless someone, how it translates is, unless someone shows me the way. How can I understand? Unless someone shows me the way. And he asked Philip to come up and sit with him. You see the humility of the Ethiopian. Remember, he's like, you know, high echelon in leadership in, 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 in Ethiopia. He doesn't say, you know, get away from me, you peon. He doesn't say, you know, get away from me, you know, do you know who I am? The acknowledgement of saying, I need help. The acknowledgement of saying, I need someone to show me the way. You see this humility of this Ethiopian. Pride prohibits this. Pride says, I don't need this. I don't need someone to show me the way. I don't need someone to show me how to operate on a brain. So I'm just going to go ahead and, you know, cut this skull open and see what I can do. You're going to kill somebody. You're going to hurt yourself or hurt somebody. And then the family's going to sue and then, you know, you're going to hurt yourself. But that's how people think. That's the pride of life, selfishness and prideful nature of man. It's the human condition. And you see the humility of this eunuch. A little side comment about this eunuch. Remember, he doesn't have a certain male member. Phallus. Impossible. Sexual impossibilities. And I would speak more colorfully, probably more sternly if I were speaking to a group of men. But a lot of times men think very, very carnally. Very, very selfishly. Wow, I like this. I'm going to go get this. Wow, I like this. I'm going to go get that. They think very carnally. Well, when you don't think carnally, beautiful things can happen. 
Humility is one of them, just like the eunuch. There were certain impossibilities for this guy. And I'm not advocating celibacy. You know, that's Catholic doctrine. I'm not advocating celibacy. But what I am advocating is new thinking, a new mind, a new spirit. Philippians 4, 8 says, finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there's any virtue and if there's anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. 2 Corinthians 10 verse 5 says, bring every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. And I would speak more sternly with men. Men don't do this. A lot of men don't do this. Bring every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. Where your mind is a filter. The things, what you've been taught of scripture. You could have any thought in your mind. But then you put it in a cage. You put that thought in a cage. And you filter it with the word. And then what comes out after that? Like spaghetti, you know, you make spaghetti, cook noodles. You know, it's boiling in the water. The noodles get soft, nice and soft for spaghetti. And what do you do? You put the, in the, the little strainer. And you pour it in and, you know, that's what you do with your thoughts. You put it in the strainer and what comes out? You know, all the stuff goes out and what's left? The soft noodles for spaghetti. And in your mind, you do that in your mind. And what's left? Holiness. Whatever things are true, noble, just, pure, lovely, good report, virtue, and praiseworthy. But a lot of men don't do that. Because they're not like the eunuch. They think differently. If you heard a thud, that was Gabby. She kind of rolled over. That was a loud one. But that's what's so beautiful about non-carnal thinking and the only one who can make people think non-carnally is Jesus Christ and the work of the Holy Spirit. I shouldn't say make people because that sounds kind of Calvinistic, you know. God, you know, forces you to do this. No, that's the heart of a person that is surrendering to Jesus Christ. Lord, not my will, thy will. He says, you know, uh, 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 um, in, in verse 31, in, in the, the eunuch, it says, and he asked Philip to come up to sit with him. The place in scripture which he read was this. There's ever times in scripture where you're reading and then it says something about a, a prophet read scripture and you're like, man, I wonder what he was reading. You know, like, you know, uh, uh, Nathaniel, you know, I wonder what that prayer was like when he was under the, the fig tree. The Lord saw it. But here it says the place in scripture which he read was this. If the, you know, the Lord gives us a little picture. And he was reading from Isaiah 53, prophecy of the Messiah, Jesus, son of the most high God. And this is what he read. He was led as a sheep to the slaughter and as a lamb before its shearer is silent. So he opened not his mouth. Remember Jesus Christ. We, we just finished our study in the book of Matthew. But Jesus Christ said nothing as they beat him. They beat him. 
you put the prophecies together in conjunction with what the gospels reveal, in conjunction with what the disciples and the apostles start to teach. And they straight up, they like they, before his accusers, they would mock Jesus Christ. They put a bag over his head and they would punch him. And they were laughing and jeering and they would say, wow, you know, if you're a prophet, prophesy, who is it that hit you? And then another guy would come and punch him. Who, pro who prophesied to us? Who is it that hits you? And even when he's hanging on a cross, dying on the cross, if you're the son of God, you know, free yourself, bring yourself down. If you're the son of God. They didn't believe. And then you see the words of our Lord when he's on the cross and he says, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. You see a different heart, a different mind than the carnal. You see a different heart, a different mind than your thoughts, your mind, your heart. My heart. Because if you've ever been punched in the face, Number one, it hurts. Well, depending on who, who hit, if it's a big guy, it hurts. I mean, your jaw gets all messed up. You get like ringing in your head. And then it's like instant anger, instant rage. For me, this is me, instant rage. But then you see Jesus Christ, you read the Bible and you see, man, they punched him in the face and he took it. Wow, they tore his beard and he said nothing. And then, you know, I read these passages and it's like, well, I want to be like my Lord. Lord, help me. Because people hurt me and I want to destroy them. People do this to me and I want to kill them. And then he changes you. You yield to him and he changes you. And then, you know, all of a sudden to be on a cross and say, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. You see how beautiful this is? And even beautiful, beautiful Stephen, they're throwing stones at him. And his body's getting weaker and weaker with each hit getting weaker. He's getting closer to death. And in chapter 7, verse 60, Lord, do not charge them with this sin. You see? He has compassion for the very people who are hurting him, for the very people who are killing him. And you see, wow, Stephen's heart is exactly like the heart of my Lord. Stephen's heart is exactly like the heart of Christ. He has a new mind, a new heart. And he looks up and he sees Jesus Christ. He says in verse 56 of chapter 7, Look, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. Verse 59, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. He has eyes to see and ears to hear. And he has compassion on his accusers. Compassion on his killers. This is not, this is, these things are not carnally discerned. To say, wow, you know, someone's trying to kill you and to have compassion for them. They're not carnal. Very spiritual. This is things that are only done in the baptism of the Holy Spirit, in the power of the Holy Spirit. And so look at verse 33 of chapter 8 now, still in the prophecy of Isaiah 53. In his humiliation, his justice was taken away. And who will declare his generation? It translates as genealogy. 
Who will declare his genealogy? Who will, who will declare his genea? That's the Greek word. His nation. You know, you have a lot of people, they go to the, the Mormon website. I forgot what it's called. But they go to the Mormon website and they say, wow, you know, uh, I'm going to submit my information, get some basic information and see who's in my family tree. And then they're going to mail me a kit in the mail. I'm going to do a DNA test. I'm going to do the little swab or whatever. And I'm going to send it back to them. And they're going to send me an email and say, wow, this is my family. I have George Washington in my family tree. I have Abraham Lincoln in my family tree. You know what I say? Who cares? Who cares? Who will declare his generation, capital H. The family tree of the Christian is not of this world. You believe in Jesus Christ as the son of the most high God, as your Lord, as your savior. I say, praise the Lord. Read the Bible and behold your family tree. Behold your brothers, behold your sisters. Behold your Lord. The word became flesh. For his life is taken from the earth. Verse 34. So the eunuch answered Philip and said, I ask you, of whom does the prophet say this? Of himself or of some other man? You know, you see, God's timing is perfect. You see this Ethiopian, he's reading in the middle of nowhere. He's on his journey. He's going back to Ethiopia, back to the queen, Kandake. And he's reading the Bible. He's reading this passage of Isaiah, and he has no idea what he's reading. You might look at that and say like, man, you know, it's kind of stupid. Why is he reading something he doesn't understand? But you see, he's trying to understand. He tells him, how can, how can I understand unless someone show me the way? And so the eunuchs asked him, who's Isaiah speaking about? Is he speaking about himself or is he speaking about somebody else? God's timing is perfect. The convergence, the converging of a seeker and a messenger, God's divine appointment for such a time as this. For such a time as this. Verse 35, then Philip opened his mouth and beginning at this scripture, preached Jesus to him. Beginning at this scripture to extrapolate from scripture, Jesus Christ. That's what's so cool about our studies and, you know, through the Bible, Old Testament and New Testament. But in the Old Testament, you see Joseph as a type of Christ. Moses as a type of Christ. Joshua as a type of Christ. Ruth as a type of bride. Esther as a type of bride. Turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 3. 1 Peter chapter 3. 1 Peter chapter 3 verse 15. The exhortation of Brother Peter, you know, one of the heavies we read in the book of, uh, in last week, in uh, the heavy, when uh, Peter was the one who confronted Simon. This is the exhortation of Brother Peter in First in Peter 3.15. He says, always be ready to give a defense or an answer to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you. Always be ready. 
Just like the Lord said to Moses, he said, Moses, take two tablets and be ready. What is the Lord saying to you? Hey, be ready. Always be ready to give a defense, to give an answer to everyone who asks you, a reason for the hope that is in you. A state of readiness. You know, it's like active duty. It's like, you know, at any moment's notice, it's like, hey, we're packing up and we're going to war. It's time to fight. At any moment's notice, being ready. That's why there's constant training. Constant training, nonstop. Any time of day, constant training. What about for the Christian? Constant training. Constant equipping. Always be ready. That's the beauty of intimacy with the Lord. To always have the state of readiness. Wow, to read the Bible, to understand the Bible. You say, how can I understand the Bible unless someone show me the way? Well, come to church. Come to church. You know, God is the one who appoints these people, teachers, pastors. He appoints all these people. Come to church, a Bible-believing church, not a crazy church. A lot of crazy churches, so, you know, the Lord will direct your steps. But always be ready, a state of readiness. And so it's so beautiful here because you see this state of readiness that Peter exhorts for the church, for the Christian. And here you see Philip He's in a state of readiness. He's being used by the Lord. He's been equipped. You know, he was just like an, an, an average Joe in the church. Philip, an average Joe in the church. But then this need arose in the church. Someone to serve in tables. And they said, hey, you know, look for the people who have a good reputation, a good witness, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom. And his first ministry was to, you know, well, you know, who knows? You know, there, there might have been something else. But, you know, biblically, when you follow the, you know, the, the steps of Philip in the Bible, this is like the first ministry to go and serve in tables. And then after he served in tables for a period of time, the Lord is using him now as an evangelist, going and sharing the good news. You see, in the beginning of chapter eight, he was in uh, uh, um, uh, Samaria. And how the Lord used him just started with one guy, spiritual revival. Started with him, Philip. And then he goes back to Jerusalem. You see that in verse 25. And now he's going on his way to Gaza, verse 26. But in the middle of nowhere, on the way to Gaza, in this deserted space, there's a divine appointment for such a time as this. In verse 35, Philip opened his mouth and beginning at this scripture... Preached Jesus to him. He was in a state of readiness. He had the quietness of heart, quietness of mind to where he could hear that still small voice. The leading of the Holy Spirit. And so look at verse 36. Now as they went down the road, they came to some water and the eunuch said, See, here is water. What hinders me from being baptized? I love this so much. You see the eagerness of this eunuch. Remember, the distance from Jerusalem to, to, uh, uh, to Gaza is about 50 miles. 
from Jerusalem to Gaza. And, and they're in the middle of this space. It's like deserted space. They're in the uh, a chariot and they're going and then they see a little, I don't know if it was a riverbed, a little lake, a little pond. I don't know what it was, but it was water. And the eunuch says, hey, Philip, here's water right here. What hinders me from being baptized? Then Philip said, if you believe with all your heart, you may. And I love this so much. Because remember, Philip was just, it, he just experienced Simon. How Simon, you look, look at verse 13, Simon himself also believed. And when he was baptized, so he was baptized, except he was baptized in, in Jesus Christ. Not that it's bad to be baptized in Jesus. But don't forget, there's the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Simon was, he believed in verse 13. And when he was baptized, he continued with Philip. So he walked with Philip. And then you see here that uh, um, in verse 16, for as yet he, capital H, the Holy Spirit, had fallen upon none of them. They had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And then the heavies come to town. Peter and John, they come to town. And Peter has a message for Simon, who was in the fold. So I have that in air quotes, in the fold. The Holy Spirit skipped over Simon. And Peter told him in verse 21, you have neither part nor portion in this matter, for your heart is not right in the sight of God. Remember, the Lord sees the hearts. That's why the Holy Spirit skipped over Simon. Repent, therefore, of this your wickedness. And pray, God, if perhaps the thought of your heart may be forgiven you, for I see that you are poisoned by bitterness and bound by iniquity. This is inside the church. Simon, this is where a lot of people, this is the danger of once saved, always saved. Because how many people are in once saved, always saved churches? How many people are in uh, reformed churches? How many people believe in Calvinistic doctrine, reformed theology, neo-Calvinism? Once saved, always saved. Remember, from the outside of things, it looks like Simon's okay. Because he believed. He was with the Christians. He was baptized in Jesus. Except the Holy Spirit skipped over him because the Holy Spirit saw his heart. Which was not right in the sight, in the sight of God. In the sight of God. What's the remedy? Repent. Verse 22. Repent. But the once saved, always saved person. Why do I need to repent? I don't need to repent. This pastor tells me once saved, always saved. He has a big church. Why do I need to repent? My family members whom I love dearly. They tell me once saved, always saved. Why do I need to repent? You see, and Philip tells him, you can be baptized. In verse 37, if you believe with all your heart, you may. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the son of God. What a beautiful divine appointment that the Lord has set up. Philip was just a vessel. I shouldn't say it that way. I mean, he was just a vessel. But wow, it's like, that's so beautiful. He was obedient to the leading. He was sensitive to the leading of the Spirit. In verse 38, so he commanded the chariot to stand still. 
eagerness for beautiful holy things, this holy transaction, the eunuch saying, hey, stop, stop the chariot. There's this water here. Philip, what, what hinders me from being baptized? Let's handle business right here. Let's do it. And Philip says, we can, but you know what? You have to believe with all your heart because remember, Philip just witnessed what happened with Simon. If you believe with all your heart, let's do it. And the eunuch, hey, stop the chariot, stop the chariot. The chariot stops, they hop out. And in verse 38, and both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water and he baptized him. Now, when they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord caught Philip away. The spirit of the Lord, harpazo is the word, harpazo. The spirit of the Lord caught Philip away, translates as to be plucked, to be caught up. It's the same word that's used for the rapture of the church. The spirit of the Lord harpazoed Philip away. Turn with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 really quick. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 15. Paul says to the church in Thessalonica, Paul says to the church today, for this we say to you that for this we say to you by the word of the Lord that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. It's very big in terms of timing. Will by no means precede those who are asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up, shall be harpazo. Harpazo. Together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. And what's so cool about the church in Thessalonica, they heard this. You know, they got a letter from Paul and they're like, wow, you know what? This is going to happen. Wow, let's head for the hills. Hey, guys, let's head for the hills. The Lord is coming. And then somebody wrote a letter to Paul. Hey, Paul, we're heading for the hills, waiting for Jesus Christ to come. So Paul writes, he writes another letter, 2 Thessalonians. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 1, he says, Now, brethren, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering to him, the harpazo, what he spoke of in the previous chapter, in the previous book, in, in uh, 1 Thessalonians, he says, We ask you not to be soon shaken in mind or troubled either by spirit or by word or by letter, as if, as if, as if from us, as though the day of Christ had come. Hey, you guys, it's not yet. Not yet. Let no one deceive you by any means. For that day will not come unless the falling away comes first and the man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition. It's a future event. It's a coming event. And I'll say a soon coming event. Let no one deceive you by any means. For that day will not come unless the falling away comes first. And you know what? That falling away is a great falling away. Translates as apostasia. Apostasia. A defection away from truth. 
truth is very protective in the life of a Christian. I don't care how much truth hurts. It's very protective. It helps you. And so this harpazo, that's the same harpazo what happened to Philip. Let's go back to Acts chapter 8 now. The spirit of the Lord harpazoed Philip away so that the eunuch saw him no more. And he went on his way rejoicing. You know, you see, it's so beautiful here because, you know, I have to say something about evangelism. The evangelist, if the Lord has called, whoever the Lord has called to be an evangelist, the evangelist should be very comfortable with being alone and get very comfortable with being alone. Just like Philip. You know, the connection to Jesus Christ is made and his job is done. The Lord sees the heart of the Ethiopian and says, wow, you know what? I want to bring this one into my family. What a beautiful heart. Who's the vessel I'm going to use? His eyes are everywhere. And then he says, I see Philip. I'm going to use Philip. And here Philip is an evangelist. Remember, he was serving tables and the Lord took him to another job. The Lord gave him a job as a, as a, 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 a serving in tables, a ministry. And then all of a sudden, the Lord is giving him another task as an evangelist. And Philip is doing that. But I think the evangelist should be very comfortable. Or if he's not there, if he or she is not there already, get very comfortable with being alone. Because once the connection to Jesus Christ is made... Your job is done. Job is done. In verse 40. But Philip was found at Azotis. Translates as Ashdot in Israel. It's about 10 miles north. But you see the Holy Spirit are puzzled Philip and says, boom, here you are in Azotis. Ashdot. Turn with me to Ephesians chapter 4 really quick. Ephesians chapter 4. In Ephesians 4. Verse 11 says this. This is Paul writing to the church in Ephesus. And he, himself, he, he himself, speaking about Jesus Christ, and he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers. You see these ministry positions that the Lord has, and he puts these people in these positions. And they're interchangeable. The Lord, you know, just as the Lord says, okay, Philip, you're serving in tables. Now I'm going to use you as an evangelist. And we're going to see in closing uh, Acts, uh, Acts chapter 8, that he takes uh, Philip and says, okay, I'm going to use you. And he settles down. And then you see the church blow up in this other region that he's in. So it's like, you know, it's not that an evangelist can become a pastor, an evangelist can become a teacher, and a teacher can become an evangelist. Some can be, you know, it's like the Lord, it's interchangeable as you, as mature as maturity happens. And he himself gives some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. It doesn't say in verse 12, for Social clubs for, you know, uh, so you can hang out with your clique. For, you know, having, uh, going golfing. For, you know, a church basketball team. 
you know, for a sewing club. You know, these things, these uh, activities on the peripherals of a church, I'm not speaking negatively about these things. You know, fellowship is a beautiful thing, but at the same time, it's like if somebody finds themselves going to church for the sake of the peripheral, there's something wrong there. Something wrong there. It's like, wow, you know what? I want to go to church to hear the word of God. I want to go to church to hear what the word has. In verse 12, for the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come to the unity of faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, or to a complete man, or to the age of to the full age of maturity. You see how the Lord desires maturity? To the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. That we should no longer, emphasis on no longer, be children. You see, milk is beautiful. Milk is good. But remember, milk is for babies. That we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men in the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. You see, all these people say, wow, you know what? Yeah, I go to church on Sunday, but look at this book. I got this book from this, you know, this guy. He's on the New York Times bestseller list. He teaches me how to pray. Oh, yeah, you know, it's a, you know, a month later. Oh, yeah, New York Times bestseller. I'm going to read from this pastor. This pastor has a book he wrote about, you know, how to, how to you know, be in the mission field. And so he wrote a book, and I'm going to read a book. He teaches me all these things. Oh, yeah, I'm going to read this other book from this lady. You know, I really respect her a lot. Yeah, she's on her fifth marriage, but I respect her a lot. I like the way she does her hair. So I like the way she does her fake eyelashes. I do my fake eyelashes like that too. So I'm going to read what she has to say, and I'm going to yield to her. And you see these doctrines, you know, it's like spiritual bipolar. Have you ever talked with a bipolar person? They're crazy. They're nuts. It's like, man, you know, are you happy? Or oh, you're mad at me? I'm sorry. What did I do? Uh, oh, now they're happy. It's like, wow, you know, you get, I can't stand you. It's You're crazy. They need to take their medication. And they take more meds and more meds and more meds. They get crazier and crazier and crazier. You know what they need? Jesus Christ. That's what they need. They need Jesus Christ. To cleanse their temples, cleanse their mind, give them a new mind, give them a new spirit. But these people are bipolar and they're in crazy town. Tossed to and fro. There's such a thing as spiritual bipolarism. You know, I don't want to read the Bible, but I'm going to read, you know, X book and Y book and Z book and A book and B book and C book and one book and two book and three book. And you know what they are? Tossed to and fro. Spiritual bipolarism. They're crazy. You know what's even crazier? People listen to these folks. People listen to these folks who are swayed in all kinds of crazy doctrine. They have no sure footing in the word of God. 
Just like he says that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men in the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. But speaking the truth in love. People say, you know, people have told me that before. Hey, speak the truth in love. It's like, yeah, there, there's there's no finer form. There's no higher form of love than speaking the truth. I don't care how it, how much it hurts. Truth. People say, oh, yeah, don't say that anymore. It hurts me too much. Well, it's truth, brother. It's truth, sister. Look at, I can open up the Bible, Bible and show you this passage, this verse. It's truth. This is what the word of God says. Oh, but that's not loving. You're hurting my feelings. Brother, sister, this is the ultimate form of love to give you truth. But speaking the truth in love may grow up. Look at verse 14. No longer be children. Now look at verse 15. May grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ, from whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies, according to the effective working by which every part does its share, causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. You see? This is why the Lord has appointed, you know, apostles, prophets, evangelists, and some pastors and teachers. It's for the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, and for the edifying of the body of Christ. So going back to Acts 8 now, Philip, who's an evangelist at this particular moment in time, in Acts chapter 8, verse 40, in closing, says, But Philip was found at Azotis, which is Ashdot. And passing through, he preached or evangelized in all the cities till he came to Caesarea. Caesarea. He's spreading the good news. Everywhere he goes, he's like he's spreading the good news, just like he did with uh, this beautiful eunuch. And you see this? It, you know, we're about to see what happens in Caesarea in future chapters and in future books. We're about to see. But you know what happens with Philip? He settles down there. He settles down in Caesarea and you're going to see the church blows up. I would argue, you know, and I have a hunch that, you know, he had a, a role in the church. I don't know, maybe pastor, maybe teacher. I don't know. But, you know, it's like the Lord took him serving in tables and then, you know, as an evangelist and then as a I, I have a strong hunch, a pastor, some kind of teaching capacity. I don't know. See how beautiful this is, how the Lord matriculates people. It's like there's growth, there's maturity, and then the Lord uses these people for the work of the ministry. And he settles down in Caesarea. And we're going to see Caesarea in future chapters. And I'll make mention of Philip. I'll say, hey, guys, remember Philip? Look at him now. Look at what's, look what's happening in Caesarea. Spreading the good news. Spiritual revival begins with one. Never, ever, ever forget that. Love you guys. God bless you.